Hello, welcome to the Creating Fluidity podcast. This is episode three. Today, my guests are Ellie Pfeiffer and Samantha Carpin. Um, Ellie played Van Helsing and Samantha played Renfield in the Heritage Players 2018 production of Dracula, which I was privileged to direct. Today, we talk about a lot of really great things. Um, The first segment you'll hear um, was recorded while we were just chatting and getting ready. Um, Ellie asked me about the origins of Fluidity Theater and this podcast, and I thought it was um, a good little tidbit, so I included it. The next segment, we talk about um, Ellie and Sam introduce themselves and talk about their theater experience. Uh, We talk about gender-blind casting, the audition experience, playing Renfield, playing Van Helsing. We talk about my experience when I was in college. I played Renfield and Dracula as well with a not entirely, but nearly entire women cast of Dracula. It was very cool. Uh, We talk about a lot of different theater things, uh, playing male roles, bringing dimension to characters. Um, We talk about um, what's it like to be typecast and how it's more fun to be cast against type. Um, We talk about the concept of authority on stage and in real life. Um, We talk about... Um, the phenomenon of um, if you're in a meeting and a man has might repeat something that a woman said. For instance, you have an idea, you say it, and then a few minutes later the man says the exact same idea and then everybody um, jumps onto that idea. They jump onto that idea and give the man credit. Um, in 2015, time.com, uh, Cheryl Sandberg, wrote something she calls that talking while female. And um, I had a real uh, eye-opening experience with that myself when we talk about that. Um, We talk about character development, um, especially when you're playing a character that was written for a man to be played by a man as a man versus playing it as a woman. Um, We talk about mental health being used as a weapon against women and how Sam used that concept when she was developing her Renfield character. Um, We talk about being a leader in the real world. Should women be a leader like a man? Should women take up space like men? Um, We talk about stage combat. We talk about um, how great Kaylee George was. She came in. She had done stage combat for me during Romeo and Juliet, um, and I brought her in to do the stage combat for Dracula, and how Sam had the most stage combat. Sam and Dracula, Sam and the attendant, Sam and, gosh, pretty much Sam and everybody. Um, Sam was thrown around a lot, and Kaylee really made everybody feel comfortable um, and safe. And we were very grateful to her, to Kaylee for that. Um, we also talk a little bit about, um, let's see what else, um, Ellie brings up, um, about something that she watched called the mask you live in by Jennifer Siebel Newsom, which talks about men, um, 
and the fact that they are required by society to kind of keep a lid on their emotions and walk around with a mask on. Um, and that's just a, kind of almost a, the opposite coin that women have. We're allowed to be emotional, but we're not allowed to be the intellectual or leaders. Um, and so we're both impressed by that. Um, we talk about recognizing your own privilege. Um, and we talk about, in the end, we talk about also, um, are there characters or shows you'd like to be in or characters you'd like to play? And uh, Sam and I definitely would both like to be in Doctor Who, um, literally playing anything. I'll play an alien, a weird, lumpy, squidgy alien. So will Sam. We don't even care. Um, and um, Ellie said she'd like to play the President of the United States or a detective. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, so uh, it was really fun talking to uh, Ellie and Sam, and I hope that you enjoy it. Hope you get outside uh, socially distancely appropriate and enjoy some sunshine. Um, if you celebrate any upcoming holidays, happy Passover, happy Easter, happy spring. Um, and um, I hope everyone stays uh, happy and healthy. But I'll just tell you, like, what kind of precipitated this. So back in, like, 2017, when I started my theater company, um, was, like, the kind of all-women Shakespeare thing was kind of, like, my initial thought of what I wanted to do. Um, and I'd been thinking about this literally since college, so for a bazillion years. And... Um, I did a lot of Shakespeare and a lot of, like, Greek theater in college for some reason. I'm not sure why. That's just how it happened to play out. And uh, I do, too. And I so I would like to do some because I think that yeah. would be fun. And not a lot of people do it. So I think that, right. It's so good. It is so good. And um, <clears throat> I had, um, I actually went to a women's college um, so for me, I think I got a chance to do stuff that a lot of people didn't get to do when I was young. And so then when I went out into the world, there was like nothing. And I'm like, what the hell? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Where, <laughs> how come the world isn't like college, you know, which is one of the things that you realize when you leave college, that the world isn't like college in a million different ways. And that was one of the big ways for me that I was just like, what do you mean? I can't play Romeo. What do you mean? I can't play you know, whatever yeah. else I want to play, you know? So, so that was super disappointing for me. And, um, and then a whole bunch of things happened called life where I got married and had kids and moved to Pittsburgh and got divorced and all that stuff. And finally I was just like, what, what, I'm just going to do this because nothing's happened. Nobody's doing this. So, yeah. you know, I thought maybe at some point somebody would do this, right? I was just like, obviously someone's going to do this. And then nobody did. And nobody did it, damn it. God damn it, nobody did it. So I was like, no, I'm going to, so I'm just going to do it. And then 
luckily I knew a whole bunch of cool, like, lady friends who were all into it, and so we just, like, were like, hey, let's do it. So we did Romeo and Juliet two different times with all different women casts, and then that's kind of how I got into doing Dracula was because I... Nicole, the two Nicoles were in my first Romeo and Juliet, and so then they're like, why don't you come and um, apply to direct at Heritage Players, because we love you, and we think you would do an awesome job there, um, and so blah, 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 that's how it ended up there. That was so great, like, yeah. I, I knew the backstory, but, like, I didn't have the full context, so. Right, 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 yeah. So freaking awesome. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, I knew people also, like, Nicole Zeke, I had known her. She was um, stage manager of a show that I did years before, and, you know, I like, I knew other people in other different ways, but that was how I ended up getting, doing Dracula, because they wanted me to bring some of that, like, female empowerment energy to heritage players. I love it. Yeah, isn't that cool? Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then I just was like, you know what, podcasting, I, it's kind of like cliche a little bit, but I also was like, I needed something to do. I was going to try to start it last year, and then I got so many migraines, and I was sick for a long time, and Ellie knows, she and I talked about it a lot, uh, just how I wasn't feeling well for a really long time. And I just kind of put it by the wayside, but I was like, if something I could do at home when I don't feel well, I can still do this. I can talk. Like, I'll, on my deathbed, I'll be talking. To the last <laughs> second that I'm dying, I'll still be talking because I'm a chatterbox. So <laughs> even with a migraine, I'm still like, what? I can still, I can still have an opinion about something as I'm dying. So I feel like <laughs> a podcast is something for me that I can do even when I don't feel good. And, like, it's appropriate, like, we're stuck at home, and it's something that we can all just kind of do together. Welcome to the Creating Fluidity podcast. Today, I have two wonderful guests. I have Ellie Pfeiffer and Samantha Carpin. Both of these lovely ladies were in the 2018 Heritage Players production of Dracula that I was lucky enough to direct, and I'm going to interview them today. So welcome, ladies. Hi. Sure. Thank you for being available today. Um, so I'm going to ask um, Ellie, if you want to give us a little rundown of like who you are and your theater experience, and then we'll move on to Sam. Um, so I started in, I don't know, like a lot of people some point in, I don't know, like middle school or high school in theater and really just continued on um, with the theater major for a little bit at Clint Park and um, continued to be involved through both college and advanced the you know, professional sphere, as it were, um, to do community shows. And uh, that's really how I got involved with Dracula and heritage players as well. So um, done a number of things throughout the greater Pittsburgh area. So I was very excited to do Dracula 
Who would want to do that at Halloween, right? Right. It was the perfect time of year to do it, for sure. <laughs> right. And how about you, Sam? All right. So my background's pretty um, pretty similar to Ellie's. I uh, started in like middle high school. Really loved it. It was like really the biggest um, thing in my in my life, extracurricular wise. And then I went on to um, have it as one of my areas of study in college. And then after I graduated, I just kept doing it. Kept, keep doing shows. A couple of professional type things, community, do the day job thing, and yeah. Cool. And then I, I came to, and then I just happened to see that Heritage Premieres was doing Dracula. And then I saw that, and I had actually seen a production years ago with high school at a uh, at a theater conference. Mm-hmm. I remember finding Renfield to be. One, a hilarious, but also really moving, moving character. And I saw that um, April was open to gender blind casting, and I was like, okay, I gotta get up, all, I gotta get all up in this. And then the management of the Elizabeth Seaton Center is ten minutes away from me, so I was like, I'd be stupid to not audition. Right. And I think it's also funny how I how the audition process went because. I remember during the initial audition, you didn't you didn't ask me to read for Renfield. I had a, I I you um, you had me read for Lucy and Maid, and then at the end you said, "Hey, does anyone want to read for something they haven't read for?" Mm-hmm. And, and I said, "Oh, I probably wouldn't be in the running for Renfield if she hadn't since she didn't ask me to read for it." But for funsies, I'll I'll ask and. The rest is history on that front. Right. And there's a lesson for anybody who's listening. If um, a casting director or director asks you, hey, is there anything you didn't get to read for that you'd like to, and there's a part you'd like to read for and you didn't get to, go for it. Because the director may not have thought of you in that role, but then when they see you read, they go, oh my gosh, this person is actually really great for this role, which is exactly what happened with Sam. I had not initially visualized Sam in the Renfield role, not for any other reason, just, I just didn't, it just didn't click for me in, in the, in the room. And then when she read it, I was like, holy shit, that person is really right for this part. Amazing. I, I, you know, and so I'm so glad that you did that because I, and, and I've had this experience multiple times where you don't for sure. And I didn't really have a image in my mind of who I wanted as Renfield. I really was open to it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it's one of those things where until you see and hear that person do the part, you don't know who you want. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of times directors go in and they already in their mind, they think they know who they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've definitely done that with some plays. Um, but I really just wasn't sure. Yeah. And when I saw you, it was just, it clicked for me and I was like, oh yeah, this is great. This is, this is the person I want. So again, anybody out there who is a little timid or afraid to ask for a chance, don't be afraid because listen, (laughs) all I can say is no. Yeah. And they might say yes. 
Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely had that experience as well as an actor of reading for something and the, the director later telling me, oh, I never thought of you as that, but then you read it. And I was like, yes, you're right for that part. So yeah, very cool. So Ellie, did you, uh, what did you think about when I asked you to read for Van Helsing? Were you surprised? Well, so as Samantha mentioned, um, there, you know, as is common when announcements are made for audition, mm -hmm. uh, cast and characters is posted, mm -hmm. and it's like description of who the person is, what their background mm -hmm. is, and um, it was noted originally as a male character, but I did see the gender, mm -hmm. with, you know, uh, or the, the gender that it could be cast by a man or a woman, mm -hmm. that a man or a woman could be cast in it. And um, because of that, because a lot of times when plays are done, they do tend to be male heavy. Yeah. And weren't a lot of uh, parts for women. And then a lot of times, you know, there's even less men auditioning than women. Yeah. Um, it just really seemed like a great opportunity to be able to. And it, honestly, at the time I was looking to get back into doing plays because they hadn't done um, a play or a musical or really any performing in a while. So. Um, normally, <laughs> I done a lot of plays, and normally I read the script before I audition. And this was one of only two times in my entire life I did not read the script or have, and I I, I don't particularly watch horror films, so I had no concept of the character um, whatsoever. And so I didn't, honestly, surprisingly, um, and against all advice anyone would ever give an actor, <laughs> I did not have any preconceived notions of who Van Helsing was. Mm -hmm. However, that said, if I haven't seen a movie or there's something that, you know, like Dracula that does have like maybe a legacy that might be attached to it, um, and I haven't seen the film yet, I'm, I won't watch it um, because... Mm -hmm. I feel like being able to bring that uniqueness to the character is actually something that can work in your favor. Mm -hmm. Bringing your originality to it, they, they don't necessarily want to see the same thing that they've always seen. Right. Sometimes the, the individual character is going to be different, the dynamics are going to be different. Mm -hmm. It feels like that kind of works in my favor because um, had I really realized how far Van Helsing was involved in this vampire hunt, <laughs> <laughs> You know, I don't, I don't know that I would have maybe even envisioned her the same way when I went up on stage. Mm -hmm. I might have thought, um, pulled back the character even a little bit more. But because, you know, it was sort of the short snippet, I felt brave enough to just go up there and just, you know, really go for it and mm -hmm. make sure that you know, the lines that were, that were there, that there was a full envisionment of what, if that's a word, that I had a full vision. Yeah, yeah. And was presenting a full vision of what that character looked like, who she was, and, you know, how she was handling things. How she was handling the, uh, the whole situation. Right. It's scary when you're in the middle of a vampire, uh, and right. you don't know where the vampire is or if they even exist. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I will say that. So when I did this play in college, um, my 
cast looked fairly similar to the way I cast it here. Um, I had a female Van Helsing, female Renfield. We also had a female Dr. Seward, which I really also wanted to do, but just didn't have the people auditioning to do that. So um, we ended up having a male Dr. Seward who ended up being great. So it was fine and it turned out just fine. Um, and actually it was a nice little, um, cause Dr. Seward, the way Steve played it, uh, was played by Steve Gallagher. It, he actually kind of played it a little bit. Like, I don't want to say he was dumb, but he was like sort of not on the same plane as Van Helsing. Right. Yeah. And I kind of liked the fact <laughs> that he was a little bit slow on the uptake and then he was a man. <laughs> he was a man of few words. Right. 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 Um, right. Yes. Um, and so I've since I did this play in college and it was a very female centered Dracula tale for 30 some years, I've been think ruminating about this in my mind. <laughs> all this time so I was very excited to be able to bring some of that same kind of feeling to this one um and have you know very some strong female characters and some tortured female characters and I, I just like the idea of showing women being able to be multiple ways um the one thing that bo always bothers me in theater and film and tv is when you just see women being one way Yes. You know, yeah. they're the girlfriend or they're the dumb secretary or they're the victim. And um, <clears throat> having complex characters who are women is important to me. And unfortunately, sometimes that means playing characters that were written for men. Yeah. Because that's just unfortunately what's available. Um, and so you two just really helped to bring that vision to life and really made it exactly what I wanted it to be. So thank you for that. Um, thank you for yeah. the opportunity. Like, <laughs> I mean, honestly, because like you said, like so often you get cast you get on stage, you might even have a huge part. And sometimes, sometimes, you know, you're not just reduced to the girlfriend. Sometimes you're the blonde. Right. The brunette. And mm -hmm. it's, you're just reduced to your hair color and the stereotype of what the hair color is for women. And then that's, that's right. it. That's your time on stage. Right. So it really allows them to be able to explore so many different places and thought patterns that wouldn't necessarily pop up for uh, a female character, but would most definitely pop up for an actual woman. Right. So, right. Yeah. Right. Um, Sam, when you've done plays before, um, have you had a chance to play other kind of complex characters or have you been a lot of times stuck as like the ingenue a lot of times or? Um, I, um, not that that's wrong, but. It half and half with directors. Some see me as a pretty little ingenue and then other people and then other directors, they see the, um, like it seems, it seems like they say, "Oh, she's small, so let's see if she's feisty as well." Okay. Like to people, at least I like to see this, and it seems like other people like to see like a firecracker out of someone small. Like, mm -hmm. Well, no, I'm like 
you know, below average height and all that. And I remember, you know, Zeke being able to throw me around and all that. <laughs> right. Uh, but in, um, back in college, I believe it was my sophomore year, um, I was, I got to play like a foul mouth chain smoking hooker. Ooh. Which was really fun. Very fun. So that kind of broke the mold of the, like, oh, young woman. Yeah. Being a looker. Right. Yeah, that's definitely nice when you, um, when people cast you kind of against type. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's nice. And it's it's more fun. Definitely is more fun. I think, Sam, are you, what are you, like, 25? ish yeah. okay so I think that you're probably young enough that you got teachers and directors perhaps that are you know old have maybe were my age or a little bit older so they experienced kind of what I did and didn't have the opportunity so now they're turning around and giving opportunity to people your age so not saying that everybody my age is willing to do that but um I think perhaps people in your generation will have more opportunity. At least I hope so um, yeah. to experience things a little more um, maybe gender non-conforming wise, as far as theater goes. Um, hopefully. <laughs> in the production of Romeo and Juliet that I was in back in college, uh-huh. our TV show was female. Nice. Very nice. And that was probably not a huge deal, right? No, not at all. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I think in every single Shakespeare that I've ever been in, including back in college, I think I played a part that was supposed to be for a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly just because there were more women. I mean, I went to a women's college, so that, again, that was not unusual for us, but there were, you know, 20 women for every, like five guys. We had a theater department that was combined with the, the so my college was a women's college was the college of St. Catherine it used to be there was a men's college the college of, uh, University of St. Thomas a mile down the road they went co-ed in like the 70s but our theater and music department stayed together as one department yeah. because they realized that without that we probably wouldn't be able to have our own full department yeah um it's hard to put on a play necessarily if you need men if there aren't women who are willing to play men and if aren't you, aren't, you know what I mean? Like it just does make things a little bit easier if you have. So we had men and women able to um, audition for shows at both of the um, theater departments. So it doubled our amount of plays we could be in, which was cool. Um, But there were just so many more women also because you had all these women at St. Kate's and then all the women at St. Thomas yeah. And just a few men at St. Thomas. So so we were definitely, we were women heavy in every show. Yeah. Which was good. For, I mean, it was, again, like I said, it probably led to me wondering <laughs> why this wasn't the way the world worked. But, um, yeah. Very cool. Okay. Very nice. How about you, Ellie? Um, you, you were talking about, you know, being reduced to just, like, the blonde. Did you... Oh. Um, did you get roles like that, like when you were younger? So I'd say that I feel pretty lucky. I feel like I've gotten a lot of different kinds of chances from various types of directors. That's good. 
And I feel like even within those parts that were ingenue parts, the, for the most part, the um, directors that I've worked with have been really good about. Um, so I always try to bring an extra layer of, you know, dimension or two to the character. Um, but I feel like the director has also worked to make it, you know, beyond what it was. I mean, sometimes the way those parts are written, you, you just have to play to the audience, right? Right. Like, right. <laughs> it's, not, it's not something you don't have much of a choice in. And, um, and that's not to say that there's not humor or, right. you know, that there shouldn't be humor right. uh, or, or that sometimes male or female for the context of the play that, you know, somebody might just exi exist in a certain sphere because it's told from a certain perspective. Right. Um, but I do feel like I have gotten a number of different parts throughout the years that have allowed me to kind of just, you know, they, they talk about theater being, you know, really exploring the human condition. Yeah. Um, but I do feel like that said, even though I've had a number of parts that I feel like, you know, they were, you know, they were, you know, meant, meant for women. Um, that once that I didn't realize how much I was missing out on. So it's mm. like you know you're missing out on something and you know you're missing out on a significant portion, but I'm pretty sure this is the first time I might be missing I might be missing something back there. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure this is the first time I was put in a in a male role and like I said, the the things the thought patterns, the expressions of frustration just even at you know the work itself um it also made me pay attention to the things that other people who were written as men versus other people who were written as women in the script mm -hmm. were saying and yeah honestly even though the script was written a long time ago even though dracula's a really you know kind of an older story it did make me start looking where and if those patterns might exist in, in my, like, even just regularly in life. Right. In every life. Yeah. It, it was quite fascinating to see that, you know, in certain spheres that wasn't usually the case, but I was surprised to see how much transference there was, mm -hmm. like, with life. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of and course. Even, even over time, there's, there's the very obvious things, but it's those more subtle things. Mm -hmm. Like, who's allowed to have complex thoughts. Oh, yeah. They laughs and, like, that kind of mm -hmm, thing. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. a lightning, not just in terms of acting, but in terms of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I find, I find that, yeah, also very interesting. Um, there's a, there's a whole, um, and maybe you know that, that, that there's a word for it, and I'll have to look it up. But, like, when you're sitting at a meeting, or even having just a conversation and a woman says something. And then a few minutes later, a man says the same thing. And then everyone's like, Oh, what a great idea. Yeah. And it's, I've, I never had seen that. And then I was at a couple, like maybe two years ago, I was at a theater meeting and I saw it. And, I, and then the person that it happened to stopped the meeting and pointed it out. And I was just like, oh, crud, that really did just happen right in front of my face. And so then I spoke up and I was like, you know what? That is what just happened and we need to stop it. It's not okay. And the guys 
who were at that meeting, I don't think had, like, I know them and I don't think they had any intention of doing that. Like from a bad, like they didn't have a bad intention yeah, um, yeah. at all. Um, but also they didn't realize they were doing it. Yeah. Um, but they were definitely doing it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I have been so, and then it, again, like I said, like you said, when you see something and then it makes you start thinking about everything from previously, I started kind of going through my mind about all the other like meetings I've been sitting in and like how many times has that really happened? Mm-hmm. It happens a lot. Yeah. And you just sort of are so used to it. It, you don't even really notice it anymore. Right. Yeah, your your fish and water analogy. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, right. And it's and it's one of those things where um, that's one of those um, moments where it was right before I was getting ready to start my theater company, and I, it was one of those things that kind of helped push me to do it. I was like, you know what? as wonderful as it is to be a woman in America in 2017 or 2016 or whatever it was, there's still stuff that's broken. There's still stuff that's not equitable. There's a lot of things that just are so ingrained. Even as a woman, it's ingrained in you to just let men speak and let men take the lead and let men be in charge Wow. Yeah. <laughs> right. But your concept is of a, of authority. Yeah. Who should, who should be take, who should who should own the floor? Who should own the room? Mm-hmm. You know, not like own it as in like it's their property, but right. like who has who has the right to have that type of a presence? Right. And how and how long do they have the right to have it for? It's it's like you said, it's all very subtle. Most people don't or there are a lot of people that don't set out with that intention and honestly to be honest with you even I, I was surprised at the number of women that do that too the repeating that you were talking about where you know you'll say something and and I think you know some of it has to do with that's just how thoughts you know become become group ideas and mm-hmm. there's this over things is that you know somebody does say something and then like you said there's this like mirroring or something mm-hmm. like that where mm-hmm. somebody like, oh yeah, I really, I really like that idea too. Yeah. Um, like a neural mir- mirroring thing or something like that. I know exactly what you were trying mm-hmm. for, although I also could not remember. <laughs> right. Right. But um, but yeah, it, it is really fascinating to see. On the flip side, I, I do try to take those lessons from, you know, so in some spaces I'm a woman, but in other spaces, you know, I might be part of a group that has an advantage and so I always try to yes. you know then apply those lessons it's not a perfect analogy all of the time that's a um, good point though Ellie but yeah mm-hmm. I feel that. like sometimes people stop at their own experiences mm-hmm. and I don't want to be one of those people I'm always like trying to figure out how to put it mm-hmm. in other contexts Right. Well, right. Because you have to recognize that even as a woman, you are perhaps in a group of people that are oppressed in some situations. Being white, you're often in a in a group that is the privileged group. And so it's a really fine, like a fine balance to try to figure out in this moment, which group am I really in? Because you might be so used to being in that oppressed group 
because your experience as your own lived experience might be that you're most of the time being pushed down, but so that you, it's really hard for you to recognize that you do have that privilege sometimes more right. than and, you know. And it's important to be welcoming and, and diverse too, in that, you know, it, it, it's not necessarily just even those two categories. Of course. Different. I mean, I'm like just I, meant for myself that I'm, that's um, my personal struggle. <laughs> sure. I think um, Sam, Sam, I'm so sorry. Were you trying to say? Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get in. I'm sorry, Sam. Um, I'm just glad you can still hear me because I wasn't, I wasn't sure because as you can see, my videos cut out. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, no worries. Go, um, jump in, Sam. But anyway, to, um, to kind of draw on that uh, with the whole authority figure thing and, um, and, so like that even today you you see it a little less but people like usually authority figures say uh, a police officer is very very often a white male right there i um, um unless it's a plot line of a tv show or a um uh, or a play or a movie or whatever if it's if it's not the if it, if as I said, if it's not the surrounding arc of like a main character, that there's like a pop in there, it's 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 a white male. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's sort of like the default. Yes. Yeah, it's like we don't know who to stick in, so we'll just stick in a dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have found myself since we've all been home watching a lot of TV lately. Um, watching shows and I've been thinking to myself, why can't that, why did that character have to be a man? Why did that character have to be white? And I like sit there and I watch and most of the time they didn't. Most of the time they could have been a black man or a black woman or a native woman or a, you know, literally anything else. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you'll notice when those casting calls go out, a lot of times specifically asked, that yeah and it's not necessarily for speaking roles either yeah so I think, you know it's not even something just in theater like you said it goes over to film and tv too mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> right right that is definitely true um you know what since this seems like a good time to take a little pause um so we're gonna wrap up this segment and then we will be right back all right lovely Welcome back. Um, we're here with Ellie and Sam, continuing some more theater chat. Um, so let's um, circle back around to Dracula again for a couple minutes. Um, tell me a little bit about um, your characters, 
you know, since your characters were both originally written as men, did that, um, when you were working on it, did that help you? Did that hinder you? Did you even just say it didn't matter to you? How did that affect you when you were considering your character? Sam, do you want to start? Yeah. Um, so I didn't find it hinder, um, hindering at all whenever I was developing my character. I was like, well, I was lucky enough to feel like this was this was a character that didn't exactly have any specific gender roles or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, at least that at least that I found. Okay. So that was, so that was really helpful. I think if Renfield would have had like a specific occupation that may have been gender specific at that. Um, at that time in history, I may, I may have struggled a little bit, but um, since she was just you know in it, well, not just, but in the insane asylum, um, you know, both men and women were put into insane asylums. But just um, so the thing that was looked back differently than maybe a man would do in the role was the reasoning for her being her being in the insane asylum and the and the options there because at that time in history women were put to insane asylums just for having anxiety. Right. That's so, true. Um, so that gave me a broader spectrum of ways to explore why she was why she was in there, what what were the driving factors to her madness. Right. And I think that we did have a conversation about this, um, how, how, yeah, women were liter could literally be um, committed by their husbands for any reason. Um, if they just didn't want to have sex with their husband, their husband could commit them for that. Um, yeah. Or their fathers could commit them. Uh, or if they were too sexual before marriage, they could get be committed for that. Um, you know, there were women who were in the suffragette movement um, who were committed for that. Um, like yeah. you said, for anxiety. Um, there were all sorts of reasons why women were considered um, mentally unfit and thrown into insane asylums. Um, and so honestly, having a woman as the patient almost makes more sense than having a man in this time period. Um, because not that there weren't men who had mental health issues, but I think women, it was used on women as a weapon way more than as for men back, oh my back then. Yeah. It's oh my gosh, from whatever I was doing research about why women could have been put into a same asylum during the, during this time, it's like darn near anything. Yes, just like if they didn't like something you did, oh, you're insane. So, um, time to go to the loony bin, right? Absolutely. How about you, Ellie? Um, whether or not it made a difference, kind of looking at it. So, I don't think from a perspective of looking at the situation, looking at the lines, looking at the thought patterns, um, there was really any difference for me looking at it. However, 
quite a wordy play yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um but even if those lines were cut by 25 percent easily still was a lot more than any you know female character and so having the level of comfort to be able to talk for that long both in terms of feeling comfortable within the space of the play as a character but then also you know Every actor kind of has those moments, I feel like, where you're you're mindful of the fact that you're on stage with an audience. Right. So and if my mind would flip to that place as well, really sitting and standing in, this is still my space and I still own it. Right. Um, and that was very helpful, again, then in real life as well, where it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is your space or stage stay on this space or stage, you don't have to constantly make room for other people. To that end, I would say that I do think that there is some interesting conversation that's being generated around should women always act like, you know, you know, assertive men. And is that always the best thing to do? Or is there something good about making space for other people? There's some really big conversation around that. But I will say that in the context of the character, that was probably like the thing that was so your microphone cut out for a second did you yeah. say should women make space for assertive men no um there's some conversation about when women are stepping into their own empowerment and when other women are you know when men and women and, and everybody are empowering women to be in charge yeah what kind of leader are you empowering oh okay Is, always look like being you know quote alpha male oh okay (laughs) you know is that always the best approach and i think that there's questioning of that some great questioning of that and and i i don't always think that people think that that's the best leadership style and i don't quite think that women should necessarily emulate that that they should always take up you know large amounts of space space gotcha each but i think that you know it made me think twice about how much space Gotcha. 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 Um, right. So the question is basically being asked of when women are in charge, should we necessarily be in charge the way men are in charge or should we find our own way to be in charge? Correct. Correct. Yeah. When okay. we're owning the space in the room, uh-huh. does it necessarily have to, you don't necessarily have to take up exactly the same amount of time and space that you feel like, you know, right the greatest male leader in, in the room is, is also taking that. Right. So like a more soft style. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, I will just say on a personal level, um, I, I want to say, and I don't think this is an exaggeration and we can ask maybe my mom who I know listens to this podcast. Um, I think my whole life I've been told to take, to take up less space. Um, not necessarily by my mom, but by other people. 
Um, I've always sort of been told to be quiet or to stop crying or to, you know, um, tone it down or to, um, um, I don't know what other phrases are, but I'm sure you've all been said, had those things said to you as well. But, you know, as a kid, as a, but even as an adult, um, <clears throat> and it's something that I've always felt a little bit offended by. Um, like, why should I tone it down when all these other people are allowed to be loud and take up space? And usually it was the boys, you know, my cousins could wrestle and roll around and crash into the coffee table. But if I had an emotion and I was crying, I was supposed to be quiet or, you know, the boys in the playground could yell and scream and play football but if I wanted to do a play with my friends and sing a song, we were told to be quiet because they didn't want to hear us singing off key or, you know, those kinds of things I find. And like, I think that's probably part of the reason why this is so fascinating to me and why doing this women's empowerment podcast is important to me because I have had this experience my entire life. Yeah. And a lot of yeah, I'm sure most women have had that experience. Um, I don't know that everybody is necessarily aware of it because I don't know that I was consciously aware of it all the time. But looking back on it now, I definitely know I can point to things. Um, yeah. And I know the feeling that I had. Yeah, it's interesting too because like, you know, when, when you start to have these conversations and they start to kind of go other other places and you think about what are other people's experiences and, and, and really stepping into that perspective taking, it's interesting because uh, I wish I could remember the director's name. Maybe you'll be able to find it and link it. Um, but she uh, did, first it was about, you know, um, the experience of being a woman, being a girl. But then she did, I believe it's called The Mask You Wear, about um, boys and men and how, like, there was a very narrow amount of emotion that they're allowed to express. Oh, yes. It's kind of interesting because, like you said, there's all this room for certain types of male, like, men to and boys to express certain types of emotion. But then that entire range. So it's this idea of when you have these structures, it's not necessarily that, that one party or, or one um, both side gets to make you know make out all the time oh for sure it's always that it's got this ebb and flow of of you might get all this space but then like you said it's only you know this sort of alpha dog and you can only express right <laughs> you know, these types of emotions and but you get to do it all you want right right so <laughs> i I looked but, it up and it's The Mask You Live In, directed by Jennifer Siebel Newsom. Yes, thank you. Uh huh. Yeah. That was fast. <laughs> yeah. I put the computer in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> mask You Live In. That's when I remember to. So, right. Sure. No, and I definitely know, I mean, being the mother to both, you know, a son and a daughter, I was very aware with my son of making sure that he was aware that he was allowed to have feelings and to show his feelings and to talk about his feelings and to cry. And like, because I know that's a thing. And I read some books about it when he was little and how it's important to, and also, but there's a theory too, that boys 
necessarily have kind of a innate, they don't necessarily want to, or they have, you know, like it's that nature nurture thing. Like, is is it in them or do we teach it to them? Or so you have to be, we don't know. The answer is we don't know, but we, we think it's definitely probably a little bit of both for everybody. Right. Um, hopefully, and now he's 21 and he is able to be expressive of, you know, he is able to say, I love you, mom. And he able, you know, hugs in public. And like, I, I feel, hopefully he feels it's an adequate amount for himself. That's the most important thing. Um, but yeah, you're right. It doesn't matter really whatever gender you are being able to adequately express yourself in whatever way you choose is important for sure. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Um, this is such an interesting podcast. I love when you start talking about one thing and then you go off and talk about something else. That's my favorite. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Sam, let's talk for a minute about doing the stage um, combat stuff with you. Um Ooh. Yeah, um, you got to do some cool stuff. We we brought in Kaylee George, who, if anybody's interested in hearing more detail, she is on episode two of this podcast, which is already up on anchor.fm slash creating fluidity. Um, Kaylee came in and um, did all of our um, stage combat, mostly for safety reasons, but also to make it look really cool. Um, and Sam, we had some cool stuff. We had Dracula lift you up by your neck and yeah. And we had, um, uh, Cole Zeke, uh, drag you kind of by your hair up the stairs and stuff. Talk about that a little bit. Oh my goodness. That was so much fun. I remember all that we did because there was, I got thrown around a lot. You did. But that's that's okay because it was really really fun, and it was very safe. We made sure that it was safe. That was oh, impo- yeah. important to me. Oh, yeah, one of the things I really loved about working with Kaylee was she like obviously um, this is true of any fight choreographer, but her main goal here with all of that was are you are you safe? Do you mm-hmm. feel comfortable doing this? Yeah. If she was. Um, showing us how to do something and then she had to have to shoot all these you know, I say like, may I, is this okay? And right. Um so I felt um really safe working with her and that with any of the stage combat that I was doing in that show, I was not gonna get hurt unless it unless I was just being outright stupid about something. <laughs> and like that's that that's that's not a big deal because if you're being stupid and something like that, then you're gonna get hurt anyway. Um, but yeah, um, had you done much stage combat before that? Not particular, not not a ton. Um, I'd taken a, a class on it in college, okay. Um, but it had been it had been a few years since I'd taken that class. So I was definitely a little rusty on my, on my, um, on my stage combat. Um, I remember really enjoying taking taking that in stage combat. Yeah. So, um, it was 
really fun to um, recall some of the things that had been pointed out to me or that I was taught whenever I was taking that class and put it to use whenever we were doing it in Dracula. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. One of the things I thought that it was uh, interesting, you know, and it, it looked really cool, but like you would think it wouldn't have been so difficult, but it did. It took us a while to get it right was dragging you up the stairs. Yeah. Um, you know, you wouldn't think it would take a while, but we it took a while to figure out how to do that right and so that you were safe. Yeah, because we didn't want to be actually pulling my hair out of my scalp. Right. So. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, one thing I remember, um, like how it fe um, like the difference between how it feels with you doing it on stage and how it looks to the how it looks to the audience. Because um, the one thing that I recall was whenever Dracula was lifting me up like and and it was and it looked like he was uh, it was like he was supposed to be like lifting me up by my neck in a chokehold. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I remember and I remember thinking, oh this 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 feels weird. It, this does not feel like I'm being choked. This, 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 the audience can't really be thinking I'm being held up in a chokehold. But then you guys, whenever you look at it from the audience, you're like, yeah, it, it, it looks real. And, I, and then I would see pictures of it. And I was like, oh, dang. It looks like I'm being lifted by my throat. Right. I just really love, um, so with stage combat, I just love the whole illusion of it all. Right. That you're, if you're doing it right, you are safe. You are not going to get hurt. Right. But to the audience, it looks like you're getting the crap beaten out of you or something. Right, 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 right. And that is, that is the beauty of it is that it does look real, but it, it's not. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Definitely. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and I was very um, happy about how that all turned out. Um, yeah, and I think Ellie, you guys, did you do a little bit with with Kaylee at all or not? Um, yeah, you and Steve, like it wasn't it wasn't a very big thing. Whenever we did fight, just real quick, just to make sure, it was like um, like you were holding me, holding my arms behind my back, right? I was going batty and right. So yeah. we just wanted to make sure we weren't gonna like fall over because I was like struggling. Right. <laughs> you took a lunch for me too, I think. And we actually I was so impressed that we practiced that that was choreographed and that we practiced it. Yeah. yeah. I, remember, I totally forgot about that until um until you brought that up. I did lunch for you. Yes. Um beginning right because it is good to know like how far away you have to be to make it look real and yet be safe yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. i think that's one that not a lot of people i mean like that's a fight choreographer right is that yeah. you know not a lot of people wouldn't necessarily i don't think thought to choreograph that piece that's not to say that you know plenty i'm sure plenty would yeah but i think that that's kind of one of those examples of you know 
<laughs> right. Well, and having having worked with Taylor in Romeo and Juliet previously in August, um, it was really it had opened my eyes. I think to how much like literally every little thing you can choreograph because we had choreographed a slap and like a hair pull in Romeo and Juliet, which to me I was like, oh, that's so easy. But it actually was the hardest, almost one of the hardest things, like, because the one person who was doing it had never done anything before and was really struggling with how to make it look real and how to feel comfortable. And so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to give Kaylee, like, the list of every single thing that's had you know, in Dracula and then she and I will, you know, go through everything and see what really, you know, what we think needs just like a little minute to like look at. Um, and so I'm glad that we did. And I'm glad that my, like, I kind of learned that lesson because um, I don't think you always realize like had that lunge not been choreographed easily, like you said, Ellie, you could have fallen off the stage, but, but even, <laughs> I mean, uh, really that stage is very high. It really is. It's very high, but also you could easily have like tripped over the couch yeah. or the carpet or yeah. your own dress or your shoes or, you know what I mean? Like there's a whole bunch of things or Sam could have tripped over her own self or, there's a yeah. whole bunch of things that could have gone wrong. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciated and, and respected you and, and thank you so much for making sure that we had a fight call every day. Yeah. You know, because sometimes, you know, people are brought in and I mean, it's just things happen. Other things need to get taken care of, but it is very important to have, that fight call and that choreography done so you're warmed up and ready to go yeah. for a performance too. Yeah. Cause that's the stuff that, and we talked about this in episode two with Kaylee, like it's, it's the stuff like the dancing and the stuff. It's like when your adrenaline gets high during the fights and all that, that you sort of go on autopilot. Yeah. And so it's that muscle memory. Yeah. And so by having that rehearsal and that fight call, even if you do go on autopilot, your body knows what to do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I was, I was very proud of all that physicality and, you know, even with between like Dracula and Lucy, they're kind of little dancey spinning thing. And, um, you know, just all of that, like was, it just made it look more real and it looked, more um put together and and just little pieces like that um helped kind of polish it you know um yeah, I mm -hmm. really enjoyed it mm -hmm. <laughs> I really enjoyed it and, yeah I got a couple of questions here and there they weren't really you know <laughs> I mean like she's not really hurt no I'll, I'll choreograph. <laughs> that's cool that's cool. Sam, when people um, came to see it for you, did um, what What was the reaction of your family and friends? Um, I think my, my mom's biggest thing was, I have never seen you do anything like this before. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, 
Like I, I, I think she almost didn't know what to think because Renfield was so different from any role I, I had done in the past. Yeah. Yeah. It's, def- it, it's definitely different. Typical proud mom. Right. <laughs> Babe's up there. <laughs> My baby. Right. <laughs> Don't hurt my baby. That's cute. Very nice. Very cool. Um, so let me ask you a question. Um, both of you think about this for a second. Um, so given no constraints about being able to play any uh, any part, whether it's in a play or a movie or a TV, is there anything that you are dying to play? Um, any characters that you would love to play? Any shows you'd like to be in? I know Sam would like to be in Doctor Who. Sam and I both. <laughs> really? It's Doctor Who? I'd, um, I would literally be anything in Doctor Who. I wouldn't even care what character I was. Oh, put me as a dog in the background and I'll be thrilled. Same. <laughs> um... I know, yeah, I was not prepared. For that oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pop I, quiz. Yeah, I think a couple things. I would really love to play like a Greek goddess. Like I feel like oh. there's so much material there. Yeah. So that's definitely one that I'd like to play. Okay. Um, like it's, it. This sounds basic, but I oh, I just so badly want to be a Disney princess. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm such a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be Disney princess real bad, and then obviously, and then and then you know I'm turning around and saying I want to be a doctor. I want to be a doctor who because yeah. who. Right. So that makes so so I feel like that makes up for that. Nice. I feel like when I watch detective shows, like I always, you know, there's so many of them. Yeah. But I I would love that. I would love to play like. Like a TV series detective. I guess like I got a great start. Thanks, April. You're welcome. Anytime. <laughs> well, let me tell you, I know how to find that's right. I know how to find out if there's a vampire. Yeah. And I know how to find the vampire. I know I all know. the all the scenes, all the clues. I know all of it. Exactly. If I can hunt down a mythical creature. <laughs> I've I've got the steak. I've got the wolf spain. I know it all. <laughs> Exactly. Oh my god, that's so funny. That's really yeah, I'm president. I would, I would, I would be, I would be president of oh, the United States. Okay. In this series. Okay. Yeah. I could definitely see that. Yeah. Oh me, I thought you were going to say me too. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Did you ever watch the show, Madam Secretary? My mom has like been on me to watch. This. Oh, you would love it. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. I've seen a couple of clips and it looks great. Yeah, if you if that's a if that's something you would like to play, I could see you would definitely enjoy that a lot. Yeah, yeah, she's a badass. I like her a lot. She's very she's cool. Um, but yeah, no, I always love that when they have like some oh. some movie and they have like a mythical president. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, play that would be fun. That would be fun to play too. That would be fun. I always loved... Did you watch 24 when that was on? No. Okay. Well, they had, like, the first black president. 
awesome. Yeah, that was cool. That was that. I remember that, and I was like, "Yes, good for you." <laughs> that was back when Bush was in office, so, so I was like, "Yay!" So that was cool. Politics. <laughs> right? I was just, no, but I just thought it was cool because, like, you could literally, it's a fictional show, so anybody could be president. So, right? So back to our original, you know, like, if anyone can be president. Well, no, but I mean, yeah, I, I brought it up. That's my, <laughs> I was the one that was like, I'm Yes, you are. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. No, it's true, though. It's true. It's it's uh, working hard to make sure that we have diverse representation in all spaces. Right. Exactly. Um, you, that's what you did. Yeah. That's, that's what makes you awesome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, I don't know. There's a lot of things that I want to play. I don't know what's the first thing I'd want to do, but gosh, I don't know. I'm watching Orphan Black right now, and I think I would like to play something like that where I get to play multiple characters in the same show. Um, she, you know, she plays clones and, but they're all different from each other. Obviously they all have the same face, but you know, there's like a soccer mom clone and there's a Ukrainian killer clone and there's a wild and crazy clone. And there's like a sciencey clone. Like, I think that, I think I would enjoy that is to be able to play somebody who gets to have, all these different characters, but it's, yeah, I think that would be my dream role. What was that, like, the spy show? Like, uh, Jennifer Gardner. Oh, yeah. What's the name of that show? Alias. What was it? Alias? Was it Alias? Yes, yes. Yeah, that'd be good. Mm hmm yeah, any of those spy shows, I guess, that would be good, where I get to play a different character every week. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because I don't want to be me. That's boring. <laughs> Why am I an actor? I don't want to be me. <laughs> April. April. In April. <laughs> right, exactly. Premiering in April. I think, Sam, you could be a Disney princess on Doctor Who. What if the doctor visited, like... Like, you know, like visited like Disney World, but it was real or something. That would be a cool story. Like a mashup, like a mashup uh -huh. of Disney World and Ever After. Oh. Yeah. Or like or like a mashup of like um Doctor Who and Once Upon a Time. Oh yes. <laughs> yes. 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 That would be so good. That would be amazing. Work on your pitch, Sam. There you go. I like it. I like it. I like it. It's cool. I like it. Okay. All right, ladies. I think we're going to stop uh, recording right now. And I'm going to say thank you to Ellie Pfeiffer and Samantha Carpin for being on the Creating Fluidity podcast for today. I will probably have these lovely ladies back again another time. So check them out. Um, I hope everybody's staying very healthy and happy and have a lovely day. Hey friends, if you enjoyed this episode and you're in a mind to be generous, there's a bunch of different ways to support us today. You can go to anchor.fm slash creatingfluidity and there's opportunity to become a sponsor at a lot of different levels. You can also go to patreon.com and look for 
Fluidity Theater and become a Patreon patron. You can also go to my website, fluiditytheater.org, and make a one-time donation there on the homepage, as well as there's opportunities on the podcast page to find anchor.fm as well as patreon.com as well as to see other episodes of this podcast and to see video of the Romeo and Juliet from 2018. So I know everybody's at home and it feels kind of crazy to think about donating to artists, but you're probably sitting at home listening to music and reading books and watching TV and movies. So what's getting us all through this is people putting out content and the people putting out content are trying to make a living, um, just like everybody. So if you have a couple extra bucks, we all appreciate it. Um, if you don't, that's cool. Uh, I wouldn't mind um, you sending out my podcast to someone who you think would appreciate it. So have a great day, everybody. And thanks. Yeah.